All right, hey, I want to welcome everybody and, and say Happy Mother's Day. We're we're here to to celebrate um, <clears throat> celebrate that today. To to uh, just uh, remind everybody how how much we appreciate. Of the ladies in our congregation, our mothers, and, and everything that you guys do, and and as we do that, so today's sermon is on marriage. So we'll see how that works. Um, I think it worked out in the first service, so hopefully it'll work out in this one as well. But um, so as we do that, um, we're going to ask three questions. The first one is, what is marriage? And and we're going to jump around a little bit in the Bible today. But the first passage will be Genesis chapter two, verses eighteen through twenty-five. As we define marriage, what is marriage? Biblically, what did God intend for marriage to be? What did he create it as? And this is an important question to ask, and it's an important thing to know today. And and marriage is simply a covenant. It's a covenant between a man and a woman that's centered on God and promised to one another. So it's very, very simple. It's, it's why we have wedding ceremonies and we repeat our vows to God and to one another. It's, it's why this thing comes in biblically. It's, it's the way that we do that. But a covenant, um, just we could, we could spend the whole hour talking about what a covenant is. But, but a covenant, very simply, is it's not a contract. If, if you go back into the scriptures, a covenant is what God made with Abraham. Abraham cut a covenant with God. Literally, it reads, he cut a covenant with God. So what, how do you cut a covenant? In, in that day and time, 3,800 years ago, to cut a covenant, they would take some animals and they would cut them in two. So they would split them down the middle and lay half on one side and half on the other. And the two parties making the covenant would walk through those two pieces of animals. And as they would walk through those pieces of animals, the covenant would say is if I violate this covenant, may I be as this animal split in two. And in other words, it's pretty serious. You're saying cut me in two if I don't live up to it. And, and so as you come in, the covenant in, in the Old Testament, the one that we see is with God and Abraham, the, the first one that, that we see that's really big, and God cuts the covenant with Abraham. God passes through the pieces, not Abraham. It's a covenant of divine commitment. God's covenant is saying, I will do this regardless. It doesn't matter if you measure up or anything else. This is what I have said I will do on my word. And that's what a covenant is. And a marriage covenant is is much the same. It's saying that I will honor this covenant forever. I am in this for life. And, And so as we come into marriage, marriage is something that we enter into, not irreverently, not emotionally, not not on a whim, but it's something we enter into saying, this is till death do us part. It is a covenant that is for life. And, and so we have wedding ceremonies and we repeat our vows to God and then to one another. For instance, when I got married 33 years ago, the, the pastor said, now repeat after me. I, Scott, unto thee, Tricia, do pledge my supreme allegiance to Jesus Christ, our Savior, to God and thee, And with full assurance of the Holy Spirit, do enter into sacred covenant with God and you. 
Now, if you notice anything, I, I wasn't making uh, you know, a bunch of promises to Trish. They were all before me and God. So that's where the covenant begins. That's where marriage begins. It's a ceremony that is a covenant ceremony. It's not a contractual ceremony. It's, it's not where I'm coming in and I'm, I'm having an attorney draw up papers and saying, here is, here is the bargain and if I uphold my end, then this is what it does. If you uphold your end, this is what it does. And if you don't, well, then this is how we divide the assets. That's not a marriage. That's a contract. And biblically, it's a farce. A marriage is a covenant that's entered into there. And then, after we said our vows to God, we said our vows to one another. I take you to be my lawfully wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward till death do us part in sickness and health, richer for poorer, better for worse, um, and forsaking all others, keep myself ever and only unto you. And, and so you, you make these vows to one another as well. So it's this marriage and it's this covenant. It's a huge thing. It's a huge thing. And it would better be described as a wedding covenant rather than a wedding ceremony. A Christian marriage is a wedding covenant ceremony. It's not, it's not just a wedding. It's a covenant between a man and a woman and God. And, and we come together in that way. And we do this before witnesses. And that's why other people are out there. They witness this. And, and together we are acclaiming before God. That this is, this is the joining of two souls together, of two people together to honor and, and glorify Jesus through this marriage. And, and we're in a culture where weddings are, are not covenants, they're events. And, and the focus on the wedding is, is oftentimes on what the ceremony is going to be and so forth rather than what the essence of it is. And the essence of, of a Christian covenant wedding has nothing to do with the decorations or the entrapments or everything else going on it has to do with the sacredness of the covenant it's a sacred covenant between a man and a woman and the picture of marriage in scripture is is a covenant so we come into genesis chapter 2 verses 18 through 25, and we see marriage as it was intended and built initially in the very beginning. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So God, up until this point, He's made everything. He's made the land, the dry land, the, the, the oceans, the skies, the trees, the birds, everything, the fish, and, and night and day, and, and, and after all of it, he says, it's good, and it was good. And then he makes the man, he says, it's very good. And then he says, but it's not good that he's alone. It's not good that the man is just out there in the woods by himself. And some guys are saying, well, now hold on a minute. Look, you might have fun out there for a week or two weeks or three weeks, but I'm telling you, if you're by yourself for a long period of time, it's not good. Now, out of the ground, 
The Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up his place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So that's marriage. That's how it began. It began in the garden. It was God's plan. He took the man, he took a rib out of his side, and he made a partner. For the man that was made of him, but was different from him. And they perfectly complemented one another. And they came together in a union of one. And they were designed for each other. And they had full knowledge of God. And nothing separated them from God. If you come and you read in the early chapters of Genesis, you'll see that Adam and Eve walked in the cool of day with God. They had full knowledge of God. Imagine that. You know, we wonder what... What is, what is the essence of, of God? What We have questions about God. They had no questions about God. Any question they had, they could ask. And he would answer. They had a face-to-face relationship, presence with the very presence of God. And, and they were before one another, it says, and they were naked and unashamed. They were fully exposed to one another. Now think about this. We talk about the differences between men and women and how we don't understand each other. They fully understood one another. They fully knew one another. They had nothing to hide from one another. They had nothing they were afraid to share with one another. They had nothing they held back from one another. Their marriage was literally perfect. They didn't even know that they didn't have clothes on. Now, kind of like, that's just kind of strange. Look, have you ever had that dream, and in that dream, you're up in front of a crowd, and you've got no clothes on? Or am I the only weird one? You know, <laughs> you know it's like I'm totally exposed. Oh, my gosh. And, and um, in there, there, there is no nightmare like that in this. They're fully, fully open to one another. You see, that relationship is a reflection of what our relationship with God is to be. Fully exposed before God. Fully open with God. And sin has thrown in many complexities. When sin enters into, the first thing that happens is God makes them close. Because they're ashamed. And they no longer want to be exposed to one another. They no longer want other people to know what's in their heart. And sin threatens to destroy the sanctity of God's design for marriage. Anytime that something comes in and threatens the sanctity of the design that God has for marriage between a man and a woman, that's sin, threatening 
God's perfect plan and purpose. And, and the only thing that should, should um, violate that is death. Marriage is a relationship, the union of a man and a woman in covenant relationship that is for life till death do us part. The only thing that should break it is death, at which point there's no longer a covenant to be in effect. The covenant is, it ends with death. It's over. And the covenant is exclusive, meaning that the one flesh relationship is not to be physically or emotionally compromised in any shape, form, or fashion. That we are not to emotionally or physically be involved with another member of the opposite sex or same sex either, anybody. That that relationship is between us, us. It's sacred. So that's what marriage is. It's very simple. It's very easily stated. It has a purpose, and that's where we're going to go next. So we know what marriage is. What is the purpose of marriage? So, so why? Why did God do things this way? I mean, when we come in, you, you kind of look at it, you go, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting. But the purpose is very simple, and, and we see that in Genesis 1.28. It says, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. <clears throat> Simply put, it was to produce godly offspring. God said, I want you to create out of the love relationship that you have for one another, born out of that love for one another, will come life. And that life, will, you will create life. And out of that life will be people who will care for my creation, who will be worshipers of me, who will love one another as you love one another, as we love one another. And, and coming in before that, so it was to fill the earth and, and to do that. So to produce godly offspring, it meant increasing the number of people on the planet who are in fellowship with God. A marriage is a covenant. It's a covenant. We've already stated this. It's a lifelong covenant. And the offspring of that union, when two people come together in marriage, there is a potential for life to come from that. And as we do that, those lives, those people, those little human beings are to be raised in, a, in to love in covenant with God. They're to be raised to be like Jesus. In Malachi 2.15, God put it this way. He said, did, I, did he not make them one with a portion of their spirit in their union? And why was the one God, what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. So in the day of Malachi, men were leaving their wives. They're being unfaithful to the wife of their youth, their covenant partner. And, and God is saying, this is wrong. Why do you think I made marriage? Why do you think I put you and this woman together? Why do you think that in your youth, as you came together and you were madly in love with one another and you cared for one another and you desired one another, why do you think God did that? It was so that you out of your love, could create and understand who I am and know me. And you would produce 
godly children, godly offspring, children who love me the way that you love me. This was the command that was given to Adam and Eve in, in creation. He said, reproduce and care for the creation. It's really, I mean, if you come in, he just said, look, make babies and take care of the world. Pretty simple. But sin has caused many, many problems. Um, one week, Pastor Greg, he, he mentioned it, is the birth process itself. It became painful. Up until that point, being fruitful and multiplying really didn't have any major consequences. But it became painful. There are also other issues, such as infertility. It's another pain that's added to people who desperately desire children but can't have them. And, and that's just a part of our broken world. And, and, and you come in there and you, and you look at the purpose of marriage. Why marriage? Why did God bring us together? And, and, and we come in there and we look at that and, and it's, it's, it's um, something that's not happening. And then days like today, Mother's Day, they just magnify it. And, and um, the people that, that, that need to be celebrated the most are sometimes the people who desperately desire. They desperately desire children and can't have them. So we come in and we look and we look at this broken world that we live in and we see God's ideal plan and God's ideal purpose and we look at it and we need to understand, we need to ascribe and to understand that first of all, marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman. Anything else is a violation of God's plans and purposes. It's sin. And, and even to put it more bluntly in our church, if I were to do anything other than that, if I were to sanction anything other than that, I would immediately be told to hit the road. And rightfully so. Because we hold this as a sacred, sacred trust from God. Because it is a viable, real picture of His covenant with us. So, as we come in there, the problem is, is that once God... Once, once, once humanity broke the relationship with God, marriage had problems. Problems sprung up the moment sin entered into the picture. You see it right away um, in, in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve partake of the fruit. And God says, um, they, they said, you know, God says, where are you, Adam? And Adam said, hey, I hid because I saw you coming. Why'd you hide? Well, because I'm naked. You're naked. What do you mean? Who told you you're naked? That's a funny question. He tells you you're naked. He didn't even know he's naked, you know, before. He said, what'd you do? Hold on now. The, the, the woman that you gave me made me eat this fruit. Now listen to that. That sounds like a child. I mean, that sounds like our kids, right? We raise our kids, well, what'd you do? Well, he did it. He made me do it. I mean, I got two brothers. I'm good at blaming them. I grew up, you know, and, and, and I was also good at, you know, my mom, she didn't take any of that guff, and my dad didn't either. 
So I learned real quick, don't, don't try to blame the other one. But, but that's what we do. You know, God, he, he blames God, then he blames Eve. And then, and then God says to Eve, said, well, and then she said, well, this serpent made me do it. And, and then God comes in and, and, and just says, you know, it's, it's one big mess. There's enmity in the relationship. From there, that point on, there's enmity. Think about this. Prior to that point, their marriage was perfect. He never wondered what she meant when she said something. He never wondered what she thought. She never wondered what's going on with him. Or is he acting weird for some reason? Or is he just weird? He didn't have none of that stuff. They perfectly understood each other. And now they have enmity. And it's magnified. And it's a problem. You see, the marriage relationship is a relationship that reflects God's covenant love for us. And there's the potential for new life to come out of it. Really, when you boil it down, that, that's what God said. Here it is. I want you to go and populate the earth and teach these people how to worship me. Simple, simple stuff. And that's what our responsibility is. It means that we have a responsibility to participate in the spiritual upbringing of our children. To put it more clearly, when you bring them into this world, you're responsible for raising them in this world spiritually. I can't put it any clearer than that. You make them, you raise them. It's not somebody else's job. It's not my job. It's not Greg's job. It's not Roy's job. It's not their Sunday school teacher's job. It's your job. I'm your pastor and I love you. And it's your job. Because God said so. He said, I made them one to raise godly offspring. Not to make sure that somebody else made them godly or somebody else taught them this stuff, but that you did it in your home. And that you were involved in the spiritual growth of your children. That you spent time with them. You, well, I don't know how to do that. Nobody taught me how to do that. My parents didn't do that. I'm a first generation Christian in my home. It's real simple. You bring the little kid home. You put them to bed at night. You sing with them, no matter, you know, and even if you don't know how to sing a lick, they think you sound beautiful because you love them. You pray with them. You read the Bible to them a little bit. Get a little kitty Bible with pictures. And and you just do that. And, And they see that as this is normal. We read the scripture together each day. We pray each day. We have a house where people love Jesus. And then you raise your game up a notch. And you come in and you get involved with them in what's going on. 
For instance, we have Vacation Bible School coming up. What a phenomenal thing. I mean, what an amazing opportunity. You know that more people get saved in Vacation Bible School than anywhere else? I mean, it's amazing. And and you know that people will come drop their children off here? People who don't go to church at all? They'll drop their kids off here so that they can have two and a half, three hours of freedom? Because they don't see their children the way that we see ours. They don't see him as a responsibility and a privilege to raise his worshipers. But, but they're, they're just wanting to, you know, hey, that, that got free babysitting for three hours. Let's do it. And, and, and we have the privilege. We have the privilege of teaching those kids about Jesus. And, and those kids will come to know Christ, and it's amazing. Sometimes their families will come in, and and it's just the most amazing thing. So we bring them up, and and we raise them in the training, in the admonition of the Lord. And and that's a great thing. And and, and so you come in, and you have not only the privilege, but you have the responsibility of participating. The responsibility of... Because God said, I made them one to produce godly offspring. You make them godly offspring by intentionally being a part of it. The next thing is through Sunday school. You know what? Right now, there are people down the hall. They came to the first service. They brought their kids with them. And now their kids are in Sunday school and they're teaching Sunday school. And... You know, a lot of times you think, man, I can't bring my kids in there. I mean, they'll be crazy. Look, I don't ever notice kids. I'm ser- serious. I don't notice when, when babies cry or whatever. As a matter of fact, after the service, a uh, um, young couple that came and said, oh, the baby, she was making all kinds of noise. I said, really? I never heard her. I didn't notice her. But I'm really glad you got her with you. I'm really glad. Nothing makes me happier. You know what? You bring your baby in here, your baby cries, nobody cares. No, you, know what, you know what they care about? They care about the fact that you bring your baby. That's something to celebrate. That's something to celebrate. Because our children are a gift from God. And, and they're, a, they're a privilege and an opportunity that we have to invest in their lives. So don't just come and, and, and dump them off down the hall and think somebody else is going to take care of them. Look, get involved in it. Be a part of it. Serve in there. Work with those children. And, and, and do that because you brought them into this world. You're God-given privilege privilege is to spiritually invest in them look my dad as long as i can remember as a kid we went to church he took us to church if my mom was sick my dad took us to church and he taught a boys sunday school class i had no idea if he was a good teacher bad teacher in between you know whatever he was just my dad i never had him for a teacher maybe my brothers did i don't know but he always taught this certain boys class my mom taught a girls' class. You know, I mean, they just did it. And I just grew up thinking this is normal. And it's just something that God invites us into. And he gives us this opportunity to do. And, and as we come in there, this is an important time. It's a critical time in the life and development of your child spiritually as they come in here. The most, this is the most important thing that, that people will do. Look, here's the deal. Here's the real truth. The real truth. The real truth in the churches in America today. You know what, you know what, we, you know what we focus on? We're, in, we're, we're, we're obsessed 
that our kids will get into the right college, that they'll get in a good school, that they'll turn out to be okay, all right, and that they'll get a good job. I want to tell you something. None of that stuff amounts to a hill of beans if they don't know Jesus. If your kids don't know Jesus, they have missed out on the eternal joy of worshiping God. Eternal. They, they may be great football players. You know, you can put your eggs in that basket. I mean, I'm from the South, so I'll say football. It's probably something else up here. But, uh, but you know, that, that, you know that's, the, these are big deals. These are important things. And we, we invest in all the wrong things. All those things are fine and good. There's nothing wrong with it. I mean, you want to play football and bang your brains out against other people? Go for it. You know, I mean, it's good. I was always too small to do that. Um, but, uh, you know, when guys outweigh you by 100 pounds, you don't want to go up against them. But there are other things besides that that buy for our time. You see, God calls us to raise godly offspring. And I just want to, since I've already done this, I'm your pastor and I love you. So here's the next thing. Because I love you, men, step up to the plate. Step, it's Mother's Day. Step up to the plate. Spiritually get involved in the lives of your kids. Read the word to them. Pray with them. You say, I don't know how to do that. It doesn't matter if you know how to do it. Just do it. They'll just see you doing it and they'll think, you know what? Daddy does this. This must matter. Work with them in Sunday school. We let men teach Sunday school. As a matter of fact, we love men teaching Sunday school. Lead. So, what is marriage? It's a covenant between a man and a woman and God. Its purpose is to raise godly offspring. It's to populate the world with worshipers of God. Thirdly, what does covenant marriage look like? So what does it look like? We haven't really talked about marriage. We just talked about what it is and, and what it looks like. But, what, but what's the part? Well, how does it function? You know I mean? How, how does it work? How do we do this thing? How do we do this thing of marriage? In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, are the most beautiful picture of marriage that I think you can find in the Word of God. It gives us the view of what the marriage covenant's intended to be. It reflects our covenant with God. And when we read this passage... We get a glimpse into eternity. We get a glimpse of the new heaven and the new earth. We get a glimpse of what a people redeemed, radiant, without spot, wrinkle, or blemish should be and, and what that looks like. And, and those aren't physical traits. They're spiritual traits. In Ephesians 2, this is, what, this is what Jesus did for us. Jesus came so He could present us to God holy and blameless, without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. You know why? Because we can't present ourselves to God that way. We can't. But Jesus bore our sin and gave us His righteousness. So that's, that's where it comes. So Ephesians 5, 
22 through 23 comes this way. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So first of all, it says wives submit to your own husband, not to someone else, just to your own husband. It's not saying that women are subservient to men. Not at all. It's saying that in a marriage relationship, I've designed some things here. And then he goes on. He says, now as the church submits to Christ, so this submission is as to the Lord. It's, in other words, it's a biblical thing. It's not something that, that is rooted in sin or your husband's selfish desires or anything else, but it's in a very, very controlled environment. It says, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now it comes on and it, and it gets to the heart of the matter. Husbands, love your wives. How do you love your wife? It's a good question. That you love them as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So what is marriage? It's a reflection of Jesus' love for the church. This is what he's saying. This is how Jesus loves us. This is how he loves the church. And, and the purpose is for us to experience unconditional love with another human being. And to build the kingdom of God, his church. You see... For a husband to love his wife as Christ loves the church is the highest form of love. It's an unconditional love. It's self-sacrificing and it's without end. It's a love that's always seeking the very best for his wife. The very best spiritual things for his wife. The very top end of growth for his wife. It is not for his own gain. It's all about her. It's all about making her holy, spotless, without wrinkle or blemish before God. It's for her sanctification that if the husband is, is spiritually leading in such a way that he is building up his wife to be like Jesus. It means that everything that a man does is for her ultimate sanctification. It means being like Jesus. That's the man's role. It's a high, high, lofty goal. It's not for wimps. This is for the manliest of men the toughest 
Jesus is the model. Jesus was not a wimp. He is God in the flesh. God who became a man, who was born of a virgin, who walked a sinless life on this earth, who gave himself up on a cross, the most brutal death humanity's known. And he hung on that cross. And on that cross, it wasn't enough that he died that brutal death, but in that God himself, who had never tasted sin, drank it from a fire hose. He took my sin, he took your sin, he took the sin of all the world. And he tasted it in that moment. And at that moment, all of the vileness of this world came upon God. And then he died. They placed him in a tomb and on the third day, he rose from the grave and he conquered sin and death. And he offers his righteousness to us in place of our sin. That's the kind of love that Jesus had. That's the kind of man that he calls men to be to their wives. It's a high and lofty goal. You know, I've done, I've done lots of weddings. <clears throat> and and uh, I always talk about Ephesians 5. Because honestly, I think if you get Ephesians 5, 22 to, to, to the end, you, you got her whooped. You can't mess up. You can't go wrong. And the first thing, man, when I read it, you know, every now and then I'll have one say, oh, let's submit stuff. Hold on now. Okay, well, let's, let's talk about it a minute. And once you explain that, and you say that this man... This submission is to a man who's being that. What do you think? What do you think? How would it be? Do you think you can follow him if he loves you the way that Jesus loves you? Do you think you can follow him if everything he does is for your well-being, not his own? If that he is totally self-sacrificing, totally giving, totally trusting in God to lead you and to take you to the very place that God wants you to be so that you can be everything that God made you to be? And they're like, yeah, I can do that. Of course, because that's God's plan and purpose. God didn't say submit to some knucklehead that's being an idiot all the time. No, he's telling you to stand true to the word of God. And inside this relationship, you're both to do it. Both of you. So he says the submission is as to the Lord. Does Jesus ever ask you to do anything sinful? No. Does Jesus ever ask you to do anything that's destructive in your life? No. Does Jesus accept you when you fail? Yeah. Pretty simple. That's where it comes in. You see, the wife's role is to, to receive or submit to this love. To receive this love and to submit to this love, they're very similar. You see, when we receive the love of Christ, we also submit to Christ. And, and so we come in. It doesn't mean that women are subservient. It doesn't mean that they're to submit to men in general. It doesn't mean that men are only supposed to go out and do chop down trees and kill meat and women are to cook, clean, and feed the kids. It doesn't mean any of that stuff. 
look, it, it, who cooks the meals or who cleans up the dishes and, and who changes the oil in the car or whatever, none of that stuff matters. Those are just details that you work out. What's more important is the understanding that a man is to love a woman the way that Jesus loves the church. And that a woman is to follow that man as he spiritually leads her. And this submission is only to their husband. It's not to other men. It's only to her husband. You see, marriage is, a, is defined as a relationship. And anytime we go outside of the lines that God has placed for us, we invite disaster. You see, the submission is as to the Lord, and it's to your own husband. So that, that, that brings the boundaries into a very pleasant place. And inside the boundaries, marriage is a beautiful thing. It really is. And outside of the boundaries, it's just messed up. It's just a messed up thing. And it's my prayer <clears throat> that our church will be a place where marriages are growing and thriving. It'll be a place where, where the men in our church, and we got some good men in our church. Look, I'm not here to slam the men in our church. We got good men in our church who are involved, who serve, and, and, and who lead. And, and my prayer is that every man in our church will be a spiritual leader. That, that he will fulfill that God-given role. And that wives will come along beside them. And in the home that together, they will raise their children and spiritually lead them. So that we'll raise up a whole new generation of worshipers. Because here's the thing. You know, <clears throat> we got a lot of people in our church. we have people in our church that have been married 60, 65 years. We've had people that were married 70 years. And, and here's the thing. When it's all said and done, here's what you want. Here's what matters. I tell you, this is what matters. This is what they'll say matters. I'm not worried about how big of a house I, I, I built or lived in. I'm not worried about how high up I climbed the ladder. I'm not worried about <clears throat> the stuff that I got or anything else because pretty soon it's all going to go to somebody else. Here's what matters. That my kids know Jesus. That they love Jesus. That they're serving Jesus. And my grandchildren are seeing that in their lives. And that they're leading other people to Christ as well. That's all that matters. Look, that's all that matters. And I'm just telling you, every single one of them, the, the people in here who've made it to that place in life, they'll, they'll, they'll just all go, yep, that's it, pretty much. You know what? That's really the only thing I'm leaving behind is the things I've done for the kingdom of God. And the most important thing I'm going to do in the kingdom of God is to raise my children in the training and the admonition of the Lord. And the way you do that is, is you prioritize. You prioritize worship in your home. You prioritize being in worship corporately in church. And you make those things sacred. Not because it's important to have numbers in the seats or anything else, because none of that stuff really matters. What matters is, is that together 
We understand what it means to be the people of God. And, 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 and my prayer is that this will be a place where individuals are growing and thriving. And that kids grow up and, and, and they come to know Christ and then they come and they build families and we watch them serve Jesus. Look, the most, the most joyful thing I can say in my life is seeing my kids follow Christ. Is seeing them choose not my faith, but to make it their own. That they <clears throat> go off to college and they join a church and they serve in that church. And they marry godly people, a godly husband or a godly wife and then they pass down the things that have been passed down to them to the next generation what else matters I mean really seriously what matters can you think of anything else that really matters nah because there's nothing that matters there's nothing that matters outside of Jesus and inside of Jesus, man, it's a beautiful place with beautiful boundaries and beautiful things. Does that mean life's always going to be easy? No. Does it mean that there aren't going to be difficulties? No. Does it mean your kids aren't going to rebel? No. You'll get to experience all that good stuff. But in the end, stay true. Keep your nose to the wheel. And just understand that the Word of God will never return void. He's made a promise to us. He's given us a, a calling and a commission and a place. And I don't think there's anything more important about being together or better together, whatever we're calling this series here in community, than understanding that stable marriages are a huge, huge part of it. And we got to be committed to that. And, and I want you to do that. So I, I just want you to examine your marriage relationship in terms of God's plans and God's purposes. And this will clearly show you whether your marriage is strong or weak. And, and look, just to push it just one more time, just one more time further, just to push it. If your marriage is weak, your worship is weak. If your marriage is weak, your relationship with God is weak. Because if your relationship with God is strong, you'll be committed to your marriage. You'll, you'll give everything to that marriage. And if it fails, it's not going to be on you. So that's it. <clears throat> so we need to do that and ask God to clearly show us where our worship is. Am I worshiping God? Or am I worshiping something else? Because whenever I worship something else, it affects everything else in my life. It'll affect my marriage. It'll affect my children. It'll affect my work. It'll just affect everything. But when I'm worshiping God, He moves me to where He's called and created me to be. Let's pray. Father, we praise You today for the blessing of marriage.